everybody, Don Kendrick here with some good news. The good news is that you're only going to hear good news here. I am a repurposed news reporter and I am finally doing the stories that have been burning in my heart for so long. They're stories that uplift, encourage, and inspire. And they are real and they're raw and they're vulnerable. They're the good stuff stories. And we see it over and over again that through it all, through the middle of our biggest challenges, together we can, together we will. Let's go see the good and be the good. On your market set, let's go. Hey, hey, good stuff family. Welcome to Joy Through the Journey, episode four, as we continue to grow this good stuff family tree. 2023. We have been profiling people who have been able to really shine uh, through when they're going through the thick of it. That's it. The people who are able to rise up and the people who are able to go on to inspire people like me because they've been through it. And um, more often than not, their faith is either improved or strengthened or people find faith through the hardest times. And for me, my own faith has been strengthened through kind of a hard right turn that I had uh, a few years ago in my life. And my story, the short version is that I was a news reporter for years. And I, I sort of allowed that to find, to find me. And I, I realized in hindsight, it pretty much I allowed the career to complete me instead of compliment me. And although I had faith, um, forever and ever, as far back as I can remember, raised on faith, I sort of lost, I think, the focus. But yet I felt God pulling me back in that last year of my, of my job where my heart was saying, oh, I can't do it. But my head kept saying, you better keep your nose to the grindstone. And there was that conflict between my heart and my head. And I realized more than ever what Paul meant when he wrote, um, the peace that surpasses all understanding and it would guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. I get that now because my heart was in such a different place than my mind. That was in the whole last year leading up to um, the day when the new boss through the door decided not to renew my contract. And it was a huge blessing to be at that station. I still say that. But it was also, in hindsight now, a huge blessing to be shown the door. And a million years, I wouldn't have thought I'd be able to say it. it's so true. I see it. I see it now. His purpose, our stories for his glory, because it ushered me right into this opportunity to tell the stories like the one I'm about to bring you. Ooh, this one is a good one. This is my friend, Corinne Kinney DeHamel. This woman, if you have friends who you, you feel their example by being around them. Not the, not the hitting us over the head with the Bible verses, but by her example. I swear to you, you guys, these are the friends you need to seek out and surround yourself with. She has been the voice of Christ for me by her own story, by her own actions. And continually, even this morning, tears. She uplifts and encourages and inspires me. So it is my pleasure to introduce you now to my friend Corinne, who has a story. Talk about joy, joy, um, joy through the journey. Woo! 
So without any further ado, here is my friend, Corinne Kenny DeHamel, joining us all the way from Cleveland. Hi, friend. Hi, beauty. And that is my nickname for you since the moment we met about seven years ago. It's a lot of pressure. Because you're a beauty. Well, you're, you're a beauty inside and out. So I've always called you beauty, haven't and I? I appreciate that because we've talked about that too in the news business. Oh Lord, the pressure, eight layers of makeup by the time I get home. And the truth was, I feel like God has shown me exactly what's important. Right. And I learned that from you. So you have been with me through this whole, how I met you. Whew, I love this. Our friend Eddie was happened to be cleaning carpets. And he said, I think you would get along great with my wife and her friend. And sure enough, I feel like you're the sister I never had. Yeah, we the it's was just instant connection between all three of us and it was mm -hmm. a wonderful thing and it's been great ever since. So I thank you I Eddie. Would. You just yeah, you know the service people that come into your home may be your ticket to wonderful new relationships. You just there never you know. You really don't. So it's God weaving. We talk about that. It's I, I look back and I think it's crazy. Like I can't imagine my life without you, but God saw exactly oh. how to be woven into my life. So I am so excited to be able to tell your story, your story for his glory. And we have all the time in the world because I could listen to this over and over again. Joy through the journey. If you're listening, take a minute to just enjoy this story and realize in your own life, now what is it? What is it that he's worked for his glory? What is he currently working on, myself included, and just bask in this story um, that is, I promise you, is going to uplift, encourage, and inspire you. So, uh, Corinne, we, we could start, um, you know, when your, uh, when your papa was going out of town a lot for work. Take, take me there. You were young, three, three yeah. girls. So I was about, and my dad was a, a builder and a project manager. He was really an amazing guy. And my father was building McCormick Place in Chicago in the year of 1962, when my older sister, Joe was 11, I was 10, and our baby sister, Katie, was almost five. She was four, 10, I think, in, in age. Mind you, I lived in Chagrin Falls, and my home was equipped with ladders out every bedroom window. We had a fire alarm on the side of our house. We did fire drills in our home, and our neighbors thought we were crazy, but my dad was a Purple Heart World War II Navy vet, and he wanted to protect his family the way he protected his beloved country. So we were really a family that was very equipped to handle any emergency. But my dad was gone. It was a blizzard, December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, 1962. And we had bottled gas in our home. It had gone kind of on the fritz, I guess, and a neighbor helped get it back on track. We had about two to three feet of snow and everything was shut down on this date in 1962. So my sister, Joe, my sister, Katie, the little one, and I all slept on the second floor of our house rather than our third floor bedrooms, uh, which saved both my sister Joe's and my life ultimately. 
So we were all sleeping. I had croup very severely that night. So I was under a steam tent in a bed. And then my sisters were in another bed. There's my sister, Joe, on the left, my little sister, Katie, and me looking very earnest in that picture. I look like, what am I worried about? I'm 10. But anyway, so, but on a more serious note. So what happened was um, I was in my steam tent with the croup really, really ill. And our furnace exploded um, in the night. Our little puppy Claude, our dog, who was a basset hound pup, had never come upstairs. He ran upstairs and barked his head off to alert us that there was danger. So my sister Joe and my mama had run outside quickly to see what was happening. They were the ones in charge of Katie and me. You know, they were older and wiser and knew what to do. Well, they couldn't get back in because there was a crater in the middle of our living room floor, apparently, from the explosion. So meanwhile, my little sister, Katie, was tiny, tiny, tiny. And possibly she already had been asphyxiated because we had no idea where she was. So I climbed. Well, I felt the, my bedroom door and it was hot. So I knew fire was very near me. And I did not know stop, drop and roll back in 1962, but the Lord knew. And somehow I got on my belly when I opened that door. I saw a cloud of smoke that was so thick it was opaque. I could not see through it. It was acrid. It was oily. It was filthy. And I got down on my belly and crawled down the hallway. But mind you, I couldn't breathe anyway from my croup. So I kind of rolled down the stairs. I don't remember everything after that, but a fireman apparently grabbed me, put me on my front stoop, and I was there holding with my little hands, my hands stuck to the wrought iron railing on my front stoop because of the blizzard. So there I was shivering and not knowing what was happening in my life. And my mom, my sister, Joe, and I ended up at our next door neighbors watching as the firemen in tears were trying to find my sister, Katie. They were up the ladder into the bedroom. They were calling her. They were crying out for her. They were trying to find her, risking their lives. And I will never forget that they all were sobbing because they knew her. She was kind of a prodigy and everybody in Chagrin knew my little sister, Katie, because she was very special. And these were all volunteer firemen in Chagrin. And I think they all to this day would say it was one of the saddest moments of their lives when they could not find her. So meanwhile, I, instead of today, they would have sent me to a hospital, obviously, but then they did not. And I was carried in a blanket down the block to my neighbor's home where I stayed for the night. And they were, he was a doctor and um, they put me in the steam shower in the bathroom. And uh, I just was hoping that they would rescue my little sister. So that was December 7th, 1962. But December 8th, 1962, the next morning, I woke up and there was a phone call from the man with whom my sister Joe and my mom had stayed that night, the next door neighbor to the place I was. And he said, your mom, your dad, Joe and you will go on. 
you will make it through and you will be okay. Well, he said, your baby sister did not survive the fire. And I was devastated. And every December 7th and 8th for the rest of my life um, were really scary days for me. So my family went on. My sister Joe and I didn't go back to school till after Christmas break. And when we did, you know, we knew we were so conspicuous. And for anyone watching this who has ever been the object of a news story, it is a terrifying thing when you're a child to know that everyone is looking at you to see what your reaction is. You know, they know you lost your sister in a fire. They know you lost everything. Our house was a total loss, except one thing, which we'll talk about later. But at any rate, that fire changed the course of my family's history. My family were a bunch of characters. My mom and dad were chagrin, shaker, Cleveland Heights people. And my parents, when they married, because they both were such wild spirits. Yeah, there they are. And notice my dad and my mom with their wonderful bathrobes and their cigarettes in their hands on Christmas morning. That was when I was six years old. I got an accordion for Christmas. And this is just straight out of a Christmas story, isn't it? We even had tinsel on our tree, which, of course, back in the day was the piece de resistance for Christmas trees. Now, tinsel? I don't think so. But back in the day, it was really special. So anyway, <laughs> um, my sister and I endured a lot of survivor guilt without knowing what that was. Uh, we, why did she die? Why did we not die? The movie Ordinary People with Timothy Hutton um, triggered me. And I, I was hyperventilating in that movie because the question asked of him was, what's, what's wrong with you? Because his brother had died in a sailing accident and he had been unable to rescue him. And, and the question from the psychiatrist to Timothy Hutton was, what's your problem? Like, what what is making you feel so badly? And his answer was, I didn't die. I understand that firsthand. So my sister Joe and I went on with the typical stoic post-World War II family uh, with the country squire station wagon, the black station wagon with the uh, wood trim. We were in Chagrin, wonderful town, uh, made it through. My sister to this day was the most beautiful girl ever to graduate from Chagrin Falls High School. She was just a knockout. And I, to this day, am one of the funniest people ever to graduate from Chagrin High School. Oh, there it is. My senior superlative, I was given the honor of being a class comedian with my beloved friend, Terry Allen. And if you look at this picture, the thing to notice is our eyes were closed and we painted open eyelids on our eyes. So I've used this trick for a very long time. I think Curly from the Three Stooges might've invented it, but I stole it from him and I used it every time I was a waitress on Halloween or anything for my whole life, because it's a very good visual. If you look at this, remember our eyes are closed and the eyes that you're looking at are painted. 
So where my sister was stunningly beautiful, turning down every queen opportunity that came her way because she was very humble. I was the class comedian among many funny people because Chagrin Falls is a very funny town. Um, it, it's, it's funny. So that was my uh, claim to fame was being the class comedian. But notice all these things that Joe and I went through were affects of our fire. And I call this talk to you a fiery thread because everything that I went through from the fire on uh, has, a, has a, an anchor to that moment that changed my family. So fast forward to um, 1975, I met the love of my life. I had a lightning bolt moment in the Chagrin uh, bowling alley <laughs> where this guy walked in and I looked at him across the room and just like Michael uh, Corleone and the Godfather, I had the, I had the lightning bolt and I knew I was going to marry him. Well, I did. And it was great. And he asked me during our dating life, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah, I'm not Jewish. What the heck? But my family, um, because of my dad's war experience and, of course, the fire, um, my mom did not know the Lord well enough to understand that God might allow a terrible thing to happen, but he surely did not cause it. This is really important theology that my mom did not possess. So she was uh, very reticent to acknowledge a God who would allow her precious baby to die at age four and a half. So my mom didn't believe. My dad had a wicked World War II and he was a bit jaded up to this point. So I, we had gone to the Unitarian Church which is, was very metaphysical, very interesting in um, thinking that we can think ourselves into, uh, we can just use our intellect to make ourselves uh, one with God. And it was a swell idea, but it sure didn't work for me. So my future husband, Rob, was a born again Christian. And I was crazy about him couldn't believe that he was one of these Jesus people back in 1975. So I endeavored to read the New Testament and prove it wrong to him. If you've ever heard of Josh McDowell or Lee Strobel, this is my story. So I read the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, said, oh, those are swell. Those are nice little fables, you know, stories. I got to the book of John and it was much more personal. And by this time, I was a speech pathologist employed by um, Solon Schools. And I it was a wonderful gig. If you're going to get out of college and get the job, that was the job. And I did not deserve it, but I got it, as many things in my life have been true. So I read this Bible to get Rob away from Jesus. And what happened to me in the book of John I got in chapter three and I saw this verse that said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, I went, wait a minute. These are verbs attached to God. Well, action denotes 
a person who's completing the action. But I still didn't quite believe, but I was kind of going like, wait, they're showing actual like activity from this God of the universe, this Casper the friendly ghost floating up there somewhere. So I still didn't believe. But then a couple of days later, I took a mental health day from my job, MHD, as we used to call them back in the day. My sister and I had rented a lovely ranch house in our community that had, you know, the avocado um, shag carpet and gold mustard walls. It was just a vision of better homes and gardens. Not anyway, I got to John chapter 14 and I read verse six and it was Jesus talking about himself. And he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. And I went, whoa, <laughs> I mean, I, I went, oh my gosh, he's talking about himself and it's here in the Bible. I never knew this. I was freaking out. And so I got on my face on my green shag carpet and I went, oh no, you're real. And this is real. And I've missed you for 23 years. Oh my goodness. I am so, 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 so sorry. So right then and there, I just asked him to forgive me for missing him my whole life, for going my own way instead of following him. And immediately, because I was this cocky 23-year-old girl from Chagrin who jumped off the falls when I was 15, I was at the first pumpkin roll because my sister was so kind to me. She let an underclassman come. Oh, yeah, I jumped off that falls. Yeah, it was not bright. But I did it when I was 15. And when I jumped, my sister then saw that I survived and swam back. And so she, not to outdo me in any way, shape or form, chose to do a swan dive off the falls. And that was kind of the story of our lives. But anyway, we're so close. She's just my best, best, best girl in the whole wide world. And I'm hers. And we're just a year apart. And we've been through a lot together. So back to Jesus. I had never said goodbye to my sister, Katie, because my parents were so overwhelmed with grief and shock. They didn't even let Joe and me come to her memorial service. We had to stay home because they couldn't handle our grief along with their grief. And as I said already, when we went back to school, we put on a stiff upper lip. Our mom said, be a brick just get through it. People said, I'm so sorry about your sister. I said, we're fine. Thank you. It's very sad, but we'll be fine. So I had never gone to the cemetery because that was not done in my family. We didn't acknowledge December 7th or 8th as the day of the fire, but it, there was always a pall over my house. We didn't acknowledge January 19th, which is today as we're, uh, filming this, which is my baby sister Katie's 65th birthday. If she had survived, it's a very significant day. It's the day Robert E. Lee was born and many other great Americans. And she would have been a marvelous America. She probably would have been the first female president. She was that person. And I'm not going back and recreating history. When you hear her sing in a few minutes, you'll know that she was a prodigy. 
she was the best of the three of us, even though my sister was extremely wonderful. And I was okay. Ren, can we can we go ahead and listen to this right now? You just recently had these old reel to reels where I heard your mama call you Kinney and it's this time capsule and the voice that you said she was a great singer. Can we share that with everyone right now? Sure. And and just the backdrop is that the only thing that survived from our fire was my mother's reel-to-reel tapes from 1955 to 1962. Wow. So you can roll it. Yeah. And she raised, she, she had three fantastic girls and two oh. who grew to be fantastic women. So I'm going to um, pull this up right now and share it with everyone. I will also say at this middle through this, that all the pictures that she's referencing, if you're listening to this as a podcast, be sure to go to thegoodstufffamily.com and click on our streams that we do. And then you see the video version of this. So you'll get to see Corinne, who by now you probably feel like you know. <laughs> I, I hear your story. It's like it's new every time. I hear new things, new reasons to um, stand on faith. So, okay, let's listen to Katie in here. Thanks to Travis Ford, by the way, for, for ingesting this. Here we go. Thank you. Katie, age four and a half. On the good chip, lollipop, take a sweet trip to a candy shop where bun buns play on the sunny beach of Peppermint Bay. Lemonade stands everywhere, Cracker Jack bends, feel the air swinging on a star, happy landing on a chocolate bar. To a Tootsie Roll and a sugar bowl and a great big dabble smooth cake. But if you eat too much, oh, oh, you'll awake with a tummy ache on the good ship. Lollipop, take a sweet trip to a candy shop where bun buns play on the good ship. Lollipop. I love it. I loved devil smooth cake. <laughs> I never picked up on that before. I've never thought, I've never really thought of the words either until I heard that. But I sit here, Corinne, four and a half years old. And, and where your story left off, I remember yes, you, were about was, to, you were about to have your face into the shag carpet. But here's what I need to say. Like, I listened to this four and a half years old. And what we say often with the Good Stuff family, there are so many really God, really questions. Let's just own it right now. Let's own however many people are listening to this who've had their same questions for God. A four yeah. and a half year old yeah. daughter. Really, God? Really? I listen to that and we don't understand. And what we learned from your testimony, what I've learned, is we don't have to. You said earlier, a God who may have allowed it, but didn't cause it and how he uses these things to bring us closer. And lo and behold, you've done that. You've done that. And so Katie's legacy for me, even having never met her, lives on through your testimony. And it's because oh, you allow God to work through you. Wait till you hear the rest. What's up? <laughs> it's a fiery thread, but here's the next part. Thank you, okay. Yes. So I immediately being the cocky 23 year old 
goofball that I was, um, put God to the test immediately. It was a stormy day when I came to faith in Christ, as I shared earlier. I had a German shepherd with my sister. I took my German shepherd to the cemetery in Chagrin Falls at the south end of town, which is about a quarter mile, half mile long by about an eighth of a mile wide. It's, it's a 15 minute walk, you know, to the length and about an eight, 10 minute walk wide. It's huge. I'd never been there. It was like a Wuthering Heights day. It was a huge March thunderstorm in Cleveland, Ohio, where there was lightning cracking in the trees and rain pouring down. But I had to find my sister's grave to say goodbye to her. And it was a foolish move, a desperate move. But nonetheless, God is able to do it exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so I just said, Lord, I believe in you now. I missed you for 23 years, but I've got you now. Could you please show me my baby sister's grave so I can say goodbye to her? And I'm in this 20,000 grave. Who knows how many graves are in? It was just, it was an insurmountable task. She, um, Katie's grave, was in a place I had never been, had no idea. I saw my German shepherd turn around three times, raise her hackles and kind of go, mm, 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 and lie down. And I moved her aside. And wouldn't you know, she was on my little sister's grave. Catherine Dyer D. Hamill, January 19th, 1958, December 7th, 1962. And I had always thought she died on December 8th, which leads me to the next part of my story. I hope you are as amazed as I was at that moment of a supernatural event. Here's another one coming right up. Got married to my wonderful husband. Uh, we were uh, struggling with infertility. We'd had a couple adoptions fall through. Uh, a recent one really broke our hearts. We were ready to pick up our son on October 6th of 1984. And uh, we were told at the very last minute uh, by the man who was very tuned in to God, he said, I can't explain it but I know this child is not to be your son. And I'll explain why later. Um, and we were heartbroken. So uh, two weeks later, my dear friend, Becky Tirabasi, who's a wonderful, very well-known Christian author who um, she and I became uh, intercessors uh, for God in February of 1984. Uh, at a Youth for Christ conference in Chicago. And we were called to be prayers for the rest of our lives. She prays one hour a day, every day since 1984. And I've been pretty close to that. Uh, not in a legalistic way, but I do seek my Lord every day. And he, I kind of just breathe him in and out at this point in my life. But this is really huge. We went to this women's conference in Columbus. I was heartbroken over the loss of my second failed adoption. Nothing was happening. Becky and I went into the prayer room and again, we're on our faces. I think it was also a green carpet. <laughs> I can pick them. Anyway, 
we prayed, Lord, if Kenny is supposed to have a baby, give us a sign. And if she's not, may she be the best wife to her husband ever. Like Hannah um, in First Samuel, when she, uh, Samuel, when uh, her husband and she were barren, and she said, "Well, you're worth more to me than ten sons." And that yet the Lord gave her Samuel as a son as a miracle, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So, meanwhile. While Becky and I are praying at the exact moment, there were three women sitting in a restaurant in Columbus, Ohio, overhearing a story about a teenage girl pregnant who had had 150 people want her baby. She didn't have a piece about any of them. These three women who had only met me once, one was the, the sister-in-law of my best friend, Mindy, and the other two were women I'd met at Christian Women's Club who were speakers, and I was on the board for Christian Women's Club. They didn't really know me, but they knew about my failed adoption two weeks earlier. They said, if Kinney, for some reason, would be at this place in Columbus this weekend and we find her, we'll tell her about this baby. So they hooked up with the woman that they had heard this story from and said, if we find her, can we bring her to you after the event on Saturday night? She said, yeah, but it's not going to happen. So... As Becky and I were sitting in the concert, it was a group called the Hawaiians. We, I couldn't listen to the music because I was so distracted by the possibility of God doing a miracle because I believed that he could. I'd already seen one. So at any rate, I, we were sitting there and about a quarter of the way through, I got a tap on my shoulder and the words were, there's a baby. Literally. I turned around. It was the three women who'd been sitting in the restaurant. They were in tears. They said, we prayed for you to be here. And we've walked through a room of 4,000 women. We gave up and we sat back down and we heard your voice. Unfortunately, I have a memorable voice, which is, I just got recognized in the, um, uh, what's it, uh, Fort Myers Airport for my voice. A woman heard me as I was walking and said, Guinea, it's you. So anyway, I have a memorable voice, I'm sorry to say. So they found me. I found the woman afterwards. She said, don't get your hopes up. Send us an anonymous resume. Your husband and you will share it with the birth mother who's about to have a baby in a couple of months, but there's no guarantees. So in my story, I wrote about my fire, said that I woke up December 8th to find my baby sister had died in the fire. And that was, you know, part of my story. My husband had written two paragraphs, which sufficed for a man. And that was plenty good. But apparently when the birth mother to be read my story, she stopped and paused and said, I will know I'm to give my baby to this woman, me, if the Lord gives me a baby girl on December 8th, which was not her due date. So on December 8th, Saturday morning, it was a Saturday morning, 22 years before the first phone call I got that day was your baby daughter has been born. <laughs> As opposed to 22 years before when the first phone call I got was your baby sister perished in the fire. So, Fast forward 13 days, my husband and I went down to Columbus to pick up our baby 
through a series of miraculous events. And when we picked her up, our beautiful Ginny, her birth mother had written us a card and these were the words. It said, may the day that has for so long brought your family so much sorrow forevermore bring you great joy. And it has. Every December 8th, which by the way, in the Catholic Church is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And the conception was so immaculate that I wasn't even there. So it was a it was just very fitting. And Ginny was born on the birthday of her great grandmother and was born, was my child simply because of a detail that affected. Oh, oh and here we go. So if you look at the picture on the left, that is my kindergarten picture at age five. Do you see me again at age five in my daughter Ginny's kindergarten picture? That is she. And when she became my child, it was a great turning point moment in my whole life. And she has grown up to be such a great joy to me. There are no words to say. So my Ginny became my daughter that day, ended up looking quite a bit like me, which doesn't matter. I would have taken Ginny in any ethnicity, any uh, form at all to be a mother of this beautiful child. But it was nice for her to feel like maybe she was chosen for me because our five-year-old pictures were almost identical. So anyway, that's that's my Ginny to that point. But after that, um, my husband and I had been infertile for about eight years by now. And uh, the one thing her birth, Ginny's birth mother had requested was that she would have a sibling. So we knew we would need to try adoption again or whatever. But um, miraculously, we'll just say this, when my husband returned from a trip down the Colorado River for eight days, uh, I won't go into detail about this, <laughs> but let's just say something in the water must have uh, done something because when he came home, uh, suddenly I was pregnant with Ginny's baby sister, Sally, who came 13 months after Ginny was born. So all I had prayed for my whole quest in becoming a mother was this, like Hannah, I prayed, Lord, however you make us a family, be glorified. Obviously, Ginny's arrival was a miraculous story that I believe has brought God glory for many years. And it's been written up in a few books by Becky Tirabasi. And I've spoken on this many times. And people are moved by the specific detail of this gift to me, of my Ginny, just because of very intimate details. So, when Sally was born along the same lines of Ginny asking, Lord, just be glorified however you bring my family together. So Sally was born full term and I had a lot of medical issues. My husband had a couple, but still naturally we became pregnant. I carried this baby full term. And when Sally was born on January 17th, 
two days ago um, in 1986, Dr. Johnson held her up like Kunta Kinte in Roots like this and said, you are to the, all the people in the OR who brought Sally out and had her coming out party with me. Dr. Johnson said, you have just witnessed a literal medical miracle. There is no way this woman, moi, with this crazy body, all these things wrong with her, has just conceived, carried, and delivered this beautiful, healthy baby girl. But I did, because God is able to do, there's my Sal on the left, my Ginny on the right. Aren't they adorable? They're, they're just the most lovely girls. And God was so kind to give me full arms when my arms were empty for so long. And I really believe God redeems all things to his glory. And at this juncture, I would like to say that even if God had not given me my beautiful daughters, he would have found a way for me to have been fulfilled and satisfied with my wonderful husband and my wonderful life of ministry. My husband and I were in youth ministry and then at the city mission, and we we were in intense local ministry as local missionaries. And we were, we were self-supported uh, thanks to donations. Uh, he was so good with money that a $5 bath towel was not in the books for me. And I was, I had the envelope system. <laughs> and if an envelope was empty, that was it. <laughs> so at any rate, we were in full-time ministry at this point because of the miracles we had seen God perform in our lives. Um, my husband had witnessed the miracle of Ginny. We had witnessed the miracle of my father coming back to salvation before he passed away in 1983. We had seen God work and weave, as Dawn loves to say, in many, many ways in our lives as we had led many, many teenagers to faith in Christ through Youth for Christ and uh, had I had been a prison chaplain at the city mission and had a wonderful relationship with lots of angry inmates. I would get locked into the justice center with 50 angry women. And I never thought a thing of it. I felt so calm and secure in there. And maybe I belong there. What do you think? <laughs> there, but by the grace of God, I probably did belong there. I was pretty wild when I was young. But anyway, that is pretty much the end of my story. There's more to it, but it can be saved for another day. Corinne, I'm telling you, every single time I hear this story, I hear something different that speaks to me and encourages me. Repurposed lives. That's what I'm able to tell the stories of myself included. Yeah. But it pales in comparison to how you came to know God. Again, we, you and I spoke about this this morning, that I was like you. Yeah, I'm Christian. Yeah. Until when my mantra was patience, humility, gratitude, repeat. In the world of broadcast news, patience, mm -hmm. humility, gratitude, repeat. I shared it with everyone, even you. And then God all of a sudden goes, hold on. I'm going to throw on the brakes. It's going to be painful. The new guy through the door is not going to need you anymore, but I do. 
That's kind of how I felt like, and I need you. I felt like God was saying, so I love, it's all, it's, it's, it's great, Don, that you say patience, humility, gratitude, repeat to everyone. I'm, I'm glad I put those words on your heart and you're sharing them, but here's the thing. Can you live them? I'm going to need you to live them because I know that you're spend your whole life as a news reporter and you think that defines you, but I'm going to go out on a limb here, God speaking and show you if you'll stick with me, stick with me. It's going to hurt while I'm chiseling. Oh, ow, ow, humility. Ow. You know, I'm not on TV anymore and how they don't need me. All, all truth, but not of God. And then what I notice is I have friends right before me, like yourself, that he's planted in my life leading up to this. And that if we can surround ourselves with those people who are living their stories for his glory, who are not just lip service and Bible verse memorizers, this is what you've been for me. And this is my prayer that everyone within earshot of this story would um, be so moved in the way that I am every single time I hear it. So just thank you again, a thousand thank yous. Thank you. And if there's one takeaway I would love for people to get from my story, it is that God does redeem all things for his glory, all things. And he never wastes suffering. He never wastes challenges. He never wastes an opportunity to understand our own limitations and his expansive, infinite power, love, and mercy and grace. And he has shown you I, the thing that I'm so excited about with this podcast that you're that you're launching, that you've launched now. This is so important because you're not getting stories from people who have it all together. Those people do not interest me whatsoever. Right. You're grabbing people who have had a challenge and then have a triumph at the end. And those are my heroes, people who like M.I.K.E. and the other people that you're going to be interviewing, the people in your life that have moved you closer to Jesus and move me closer to Jesus are people who have been down and out. They've, they've known the end of themselves. They've come to the end of themselves and they've seen this lifeline coming down to them and they, and it's Jesus. And he says, just hold on, just grab on to me. I'm at work. I have a plan for you, a plan to prosper you, not to harm you plan to give you a hope and a future. Don Kendrick, I have a plan for you because I gave you great and wonderful gifts. You use them in the secular world and have many, many fans, but that was not my purpose for you. That was not my plan for you. See, I get teary talking to you about this because what you're doing is you remind me of the foreman and the paralytic. You have a very special mission in this wonderful new Good Stuff podcast. People who are listening Take note of this. This is really important. Sometimes it's not our own faith. It's the faith of our friends that makes us well. And you have chosen, like the four men who brought the paralyzed man into the face of Jesus, they ruined their fingernails and dug down into the, into the uh, 
uh, roof to bring him into the presence of Jesus so Jesus could touch him. And he said, it's the faith of your friends who have made you, that have made you well. So you coming by faith, bringing these stories to other people is just like that because you're giving people the opportunity to see the power, the love, and the mercy of our magnificent God. And I am so grateful for you. This is a rare forum. Nobody else is doing what you're doing. And this is really marvelous. I don't deserve to have been given the forum to tell my story, but you gave me the opportunity and I'm very thankful for it because it is a great story and there's more to it, but that's for another day. And I feel like almost like God was saying, can you trust? And in the meantime, watch, there are going to be people that there is no way, zero way to explain how they magically appeared in your life. He said that I planted them exactly where they're supposed to be. I am planting you exactly where you're supposed to be. Like you said, Romans 8, 28, he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things, all things, even, even when the enemy says, some things. Yeah. all things, all every things, every single thing, you know, sense. my baby sister's 65th birthday today, I, today. I get to tell her story We're and you got to, that's not an accident. That is I know. God. I know. I yes. love you. Because we we talked about doing it weeks prior and this didn't oh, work yeah. out. And you had an open day. I have an open day. And lo and behold, it's like a drop the mic. Excuse the pun because I spend my life 30 years <laughs> behind a microphone. To not drop the mic, yeah. It, it's like, what'd you say? I said, it's been your career to not drop the mic. <laughs> right? But this is God going, put you there. And thank you. I feel like he's up there going, thank you. Keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes up because I'm not even done. He's saying this to anyone within earshot of this podcast or this stream. If you're watching it, I believe it. I know it. You are not defined by the boss who didn't, you know, he had a job to do. He needed other people in there younger. And, 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 and I was, in all honesty, not the best match anymore for going forward. But that's fine when you're not defined by the new boss. You're not defined by the broken relationship. You are, and I am, and we all are defined by the one true God. Everything else is a compliment. Even, even the thing, like our friends, none of us get forever. But if you can find a Korean, if you can find a hundred Koreans, all men. Because we're in this together, the joy through the journey. And when you're when you when you can't find the journey, sure enough, they do through their own experience. That's how it works. God, we don't watch them work. Well, he uses people to accomplish his purposes, you see. And he uses flawed people like me. He uses flawed people to accomplish his purposes. And remember, it's Jesus's life living through you, not you living for Jesus. It, it's, it's, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He lives in every believer. When you said, I do to Jesus, his Holy Spirit came in and lived in you and he still dwells in you. And guess where your source of power is right there. Stay plugged into Jesus. Stay plugged in. He's the power source 
why are we in a snow globe trying to spin around and think that we, if we're smart enough, if we're cute enough, if we're savvy enough, we can have all the power we need when we're just in a tiny little snow globe and we're missing, beam me up, Jesus, you know. <laughs> Sorry, that was silly, but you know what I'm trying to say. I do, I do. And again, I'm so thankful for you. And I, um, I submit this to anyone listening. To, when we say God weaves, now watch him work. And together we can, together we will. These are not cliche words that I, I invented a long time ago, telling stories of good people, good stuff people. They are, I feel, <laughs> like words, living words that he is weaving in your life right now. Do you hear me? Mm -hmm. I don't even know how many people are going to hear this. Yeah. Do you hear us right now? Corinne and I, two friends brought together by the Holy Spirit. Without Amen. Doubt. By a I mean, drug cleaning. I was going to say the Holy Spirit and Eddie Winter. And Eddie Winter. <laughs> In that order. We love Eddie and Denise. They're wonderful. He said, I think you would get along well with my wife and her friend. And sure enough, thank you, God. Watch even today. Eyes wide open for the things where you're like, wait, hold on. That has to be God. In it everything. Is. And again, it's okay, isn't it, Corinne, to say, really, God, really? The prayer, go to him, run fast and hard with all the questions. Better than a hallelujah. He's there through the brokenness. All the best stories in the Bible are through broken people. Well, and, the most, and the most important thing to note, this is a really important, quick little point. For everybody listening, when you cry out in a lament, in agony, in anguish of soul, in trouble, make sure your cries always are directed to the one, the only one, who's able to do exceeding abundantly. <laughs> Hi, Daisy, my dog. Exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Daisy must be a believer. She she piped in. I on think that brain. was her exclamation point. She's like, I agree. She did agree. She did. But this is really important. Make, above all we ask. Make sure you cry out always to the source who can heal you. God is the God who heals. He's the God who makes us whole. We're all crippling, limping along through life. But with the power of Jesus, with the love of Jesus, with the mercy of Jesus upon our repentance and our submission to his will, he is not your savior unless he's your Lord. So as we make him Lord of our lives, it's really important to remember that he can just, that we need to cry out to him only when we cry out. It's really important. And that he lives through us, not yes. just that we proclaim that he is our savior, but we allow him to live through us. Amen. That is powerful. And that is a purpose-driven life when that happens. That's well, it. I love you. I love I you. I love you, darling. So much. I wonder, would you be willing, because you are such a fantastic prayer, oh, prayer, uh, like your conversations with God. I believe this entire hour has been a conversation. Thank you, Jesus, uh, Thank you, for sweetie. being the third party in this conversation. Would you be willing, Corinne, to pray us out? I would love to. Thank you. Love to. Dear Heavenly Father, to all the good stuff folks, do not ever let us lose heart or hope. Father, you are the God of hope. You are the God of promises that are always true. You are the God of victory out of challenge. You are the God of triumph out of tragedy. 
You are the God who gives us joy in the journey. You are the God of good stuff because you made all the good stuff there is in the world. And every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, which is you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would really bless Dawn's endeavor to bring stories of hope and victory to people that need it the most. And we pray that many would come to believe you and trust you most through this wonderful vehicle of the Good Stuff podcast. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So um, we wrap this up um, by saying, you know what, here's what we can do. We can see the good in others and we can go be the good for them. So see the good, be the good, continue to be the good stuff. And, and, and we say when we're type, when I'm typing too quickly and I type out the good stuff, when an O is omitted, look, I'm using like a weatherman technique right now. <laughs> Here in the north, when an O is omitted, you see it? I see your yeah. green screen. I didn't even practice that. How about you that? Your green you screen, you're perfect at it. It's, yeah, at it's you. the God stuff. <laughs> and sometimes I leave it because if I was writing about Corinne, Kenny DeHamel's story, it is the God stuff. So mm -hmm. we're so on to something here. So share if you would. We're really growing this good stuff family tree. 2023, if you would take a minute to share this, if it spoke to you, that's how we work. That's how we continue to be the hands and feet of Christ. So a thousand thank yous to you, Corinne. I, I love, love you, you. Love you. Love you. I love you. And thanks to everyone. I believe in you. What's you are that? wonderful. God bless. All right. I love you. Thank you for believing in me. And I love you so much. God bless. Share it as much as you could, you guys. We, we're going to grow this good stuff, Family Tree 2023, because together we can, together we will. God bless. This has been a Grassroots Good Stuff Family production. Big love and gratitude to our friend Carlos Jones, who is the talented voice and creator behind this music that sets the tone for these good stuff stories. Huge gratitude and love as well for our social media director. She is Danielle Folk and is consistently going above and beyond. Follow her at Farmhouse Storyteller. And to the producer, my Travi, the glue that holds together the moving parts of this God-inspired endeavor. TheGoodStuffFamily.com is where you'll find links for all the things we're doing, including how to be a sponsor of a story. So grateful for our faithful sponsors who have already made so much of what we do possible. And of course, big love and gratitude for you, the listeners, helping to grow this Good Stuff Family Tree 2023. Welcome to the family.